What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. My guest today is Alarm Room Supervisor Jim Frazier. He has spent nearly 30 years in the Alarm Room providing service to the community, and we talk about that and so much more. Enjoy the podcast, y'all. Jim, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about um, you know the public safety side that we don't hear much about, which is the world of dispatch and deployment. Um, I know this is something you've been doing for a long, long time. A couple days, yeah. A couple yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I've been waiting in line for a very long time to be on the, <laughs> the Rain Gray podcast, so my, my time has arrived. I'm well, very excited. It thank is you. not about me. Today, <laughs> it is about you. Um, and so I want to talk about you know, some of the things that you've, you know, come to understand and come to learn while serving in public safety for almost 30 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've been behind the microphone, so to speak, uh, for all those years. Uh, but, but the bef- wizard, the wizard behind the curtain, that's yeah. right. You're the lever puller. So, <laughs> uh, or you're the one who pushes the buttons, <laughs> so to speak, you that's to right. push the button, drop the, you know, make the banana pop out. Um, so, but before we do that, let's tell me a little bit about kind of yourself, where you grew up, a little bit of arc of, and you're a twin, which is kind of, I don't know why that's so fascinating to me, but I think that's it totally It is fascinating. Cool. Yeah, I'm an identical twin. Um, we were born in Phoenix, so we're native, and everybody looks at me like, oh, you guys are a rarity. I'm like, no, this is where I was born. You're the implant, <laughs> not me. Um, yeah, we were born here. <clears throat> my father was a Tucson police officer, and my mom retired from Phoenix Fire. She was Secretary 3. I think she spent about 21 years. And how I got into it was I was doing three things. I was working at Black Canyon City Fire Department as a firefighter. I was a pharmacy tech at Arrowhead Hospital for eight years, and I was working with the sheriff's office. Um, Loved everything that I was doing, but I was doing too much. And with the sheriff's office, it was a reserve, so it wasn't a paid thing, but it was probably one of the, the best jobs I've had. Wouldn't do it today. Were you, like as a posse member or something reserve, like that? Reserve. I was a reserve. reserve. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but with the uh, pharmacy tech, I started in high school at 16 through a vocational program. And I ended up doing it for eight years. They hired me full-time as, as a, I think I was a senior. I was 16. I, we graduated a year early, but um, loved it. I was, that was actually the best job I've ever had. I, I loved being a pharmacy tech in a hospital setting, not, not resale or retail. Um, and my brother kept telling me, Hey, come over here. This is a, you know, it's a great gig, the great benefits pay was good. I mean, this is back in 1994. And your brother was a dispatcher to begin with, right? Now he's, I know he's a fire captain now, but he was a dispatcher. At the Correct. Time, right? Yeah. He started off as a dispatcher and he was working with the uh, Southwest ambulance, I think part-time for full-time. Maybe it was full-time then came over to fire full-time. Um, but he was giving me all the, all the positives about coming over. My mom was doing the same thing and I loved what I was doing but I was doing too much so I had actually had a five-year plan so I applied and I'm like yeah I'll do it for about five years and then I'll go to pharmacy school and well that never panned out so by because you got distracted or well so I started working here you know I got it first try it was uh I think there was about 800 people that applied for two positions and I was one of two um, so I lucked out. It was, it was great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I started doing that. Um, and then I just had to start cutting some other things out of the way. Uh, and then I met my then wife and things 
you know, progress and we ended up having our first son. Um, so there goes my five year plan because all of a sudden now I'm, it's rolling into like seven years. Life sometimes finds a way to ruin our plans. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, um, it was a blessing. So we get great kids out of it. Um, and so, yeah, so I started off as a dispatcher. I worked night shift right out, right out the gate. Yeah, uh, six twenty West Washington on the fourth floor, looking looking out the view. You know, all the uh, PD dispatchers were upset that we we had the penthouse in their building. Oh, I did not know that our original or our fire dispatch was down in uh, PD's building back yeah. in the day. Yeah, they were in the basement, so uh, they still are. So they still are. Which we'll have to make sure that we mention <laughs> that. <laughs> well, I don't know. Are they going to be in the basement at the new building? I don't the, know. Yeah, the, I don't know. Uh, we don't know. Was it the Wells Fargo building? Yeah. Um, Time will tell. Yeah, at any rate, so I, I loved it. I how mean, was that being okay? How was that being co-located though with PD Fire Dispatch? It PD? actually was wasn't bad. I met a lot of good friends that I'm still friends with now, um, and we would uh, roller skate and uh, skateboard up and down the halls. <laughs> yeah, and so we would go downstairs and do it downstairs, and of course, all the officers would get upset when we came zipping through. Right. Um, but we would get some of the PD dispatchers to join in. So then we're on all floors, you know, zipping around on rollerblades. So professional. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was great. But, you know, we're on our breaks, of course. Um, but it was good. I loved it. Um, within two years, I started applying to be a lead and actually got it in two years. So help people understand what is a what is a lead? How is that different from a dispatcher? So your dispatcher, you, you it's it's kind of like the entry level coming into the alarm room. So the dispatcher answers the 911 calls and they process them and then they work the radio side, our TROS, tactical radio operator, and work the radio. So we would you would start doing that. And if there was an opening to lead, the lead dispatcher um, kind of assists. They, they listen to the room. They monitor all the traffic. If the dispatcher gets jammed up or needs help, the lead dispatcher is your front line um I won't say supervision, but they kind of are. So you have dispatcher, lead, and then the fire communication supervisor. So the lead, there was a lead spot open, and I put in for it and got it. Uh, I was shocked. <laughs> but after two years, so I started doing that. Um, did that for about eight years and then decided I was going to start testing for supervisor. Six tests later, I finally got it, and it wasn't because of my performance, we were testing for supervisor every year, uh, regardless if there was an opening or not. Mm. So we would test and Mary Macias would always beat me by one point. Oh, Mary. There was no position for us to go in, but she always <laughs> held that over my head. And the one year I finally got it, Mary forgot to turn in her application. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes. It's true story. <laughs> and I, I still, I still give her a, a lot of slack for that, but she finally got it, but <laughs> eventually. So what? So you guys had a you know clearly with your dad being in PD and your mom working for the city, and there was this sense of and your brother getting on the job um, ahead of you as a dispatcher, and mm -hmm. you know clearly there's this public safety vein that runs through your family. Um, yeah, for sure. Is, was it something that was sort of I don't want to say foreordained, but it's something that kind of it was a setup for you, like you you found yourself thinking about it at some point or you how know, did you fall into that path? I think it just runs in our in our bloodline um my grandfather lived in Boston Massachusetts he was a fire captain um so we're all either public safety or military in my family um 
So at a very young age, I still have pictures hanging up in my house right now. <coughs> Excuse me, with uh, Joey and I, my twin brother, wearing fire helmets. You know, the old uh, emergency 51 mm-hmm. fire helmets. <laughs> and um, I mean, we were just babies back then. But I remember, you know, you had the fake SCBAs and we had our little fire trucks. And, and that's just something that I think we were drawn to public safety because of our parents and our family. Yeah. It wasn't anything that I ever imagined going into uh, as a career. Um, like I said, I wanted growing up, I wanted to be a doctor, and that didn't happen. <laughs> um, so I started taking classes at GCU for you know get my prereqs out so that I could hopefully go into med school. And I actually tried to get into the Navy a couple times, and because of my asthma, they wouldn't let me in. And they all come back when you're symptom free for a year, Hmm. you know, so I worked on a plan with my doctor and I got it under control and went back and they had changed the rules at that point that you could never have had asthma at the time. And I believe now they're walking around with inhalers and stuff now. So so I kind of got gypped out of that. So I was looking at the Navy. My dad was also in the Navy. I was looking at that to kind of help supplement the cost of schooling. You know, we, we weren't rich, but figured that'd be a good way I could serve my country and also pay for my education. So that again, that didn't happen. So we kept going to <laughs> plan B, plan C, plan D. Um, and this is where I ended up. Yeah. Can I just say how fascinating it is how in life we, you think you might have an, an idea of what you want to do, but you just never really know. And one door opens or one door closes and another door opens and in the path takes shape sometimes just really organically, you know, by virtue of the failures or virtue of, of, you know, you have asthma and the door shuts and then, you know, and you end up in a different path. And, you know, it, it, so I think it's kind of interesting. I think some people take that as a failure in life or whatever, but you know, as long as you keep hooking and jabbing, you keep coming back and you keep working, moving forward. I, I find that to be a, this, a success. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in life, and, I, and, and as we get older, we understand it better. Mm-hmm. But I tell my boys, I have three sons, that you're going to hit road hump, you know, speed bumps in, in life. And that's not an indication of failure on your part. It's just that, you know, you learn from the roadblocks. I don't even like calling them failures because you just circumvent it and go on and yeah. uh, learn from it and do better the next time. So we've instilled that with our boys. And they've, they've been pretty successful. Yeah. I, I love what you just said there. Learn from it because every obstacle that we face, there's something in that, uh, there's a lesson in that obstacle for us to take away from it, whether it's, you know, human interaction or we our humility on our own behalf or, or there's some not piece of information that we didn't have knowledge that we don't have. Well, gather that knowledge, figure out, you know, figure out what you were missing, what social interaction did you screw up because you oh, weren't yeah. savvy and then you you move forward and now you're better for it and it, you know it, not to get too deep and philosophical but if there's nothing else in this life that we're here to learn right Absolutely. I, I mean certainly yeah. that's the one thing that's been evident to me is every time i turn around i am learning something uh sometimes the hard way <laughs> and sometimes the easy way well sometimes the hard lessons are the best lessons right you know you yeah because you did makes you stop and take perspective of what's going on and, and how are we here today? Yeah. And then, like you said, learn from them and, and move on. I mean, I tested six times for super. Yeah. So before I got it, speaking of, yeah, of discipline and, and coming back to the table. So you got, so you, you stuck to it. You finally got promoted. Um, what, what was something in that 
process that you really took away? I think I was uh, a bit cocky going into it the first few times. Um, the fact that I had been appointed to lead early on in my career mm. kind of set me off on a, uh, oh, I can do this. You know, th- this job's I'm easy. I'm a man. <laughs> yeah, this job is not easy. If whoever's listening, this is not an easy, easy gig. Well, let's talk about that for a second. What sure. are What are some of the things that, let's just like as a dispatcher, what are some of the most challenging aspects of being a dispatcher? Luckily, I had some field experience, um, albeit about Black Canyon City, and I'll, I'll never talk yeah. down about Black Canyon. Were you an Yes. As well? It's so you had that under am. your belt yeah. as well? Yep. Okay. I've been an EMT for about 32 years now. Um, so I, I was exposed to some of that out in the field, and then bringing it in here was just invaluable. Hmm. Um, being able to you know listen to callers and, and picture what's going on and be able to, to get them the best help. Um, but it it was very challenging when I come came in here because in my mind I'm thinking and and you know when 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 your alarm goes off and you get on the truck and you go to the call you're provided with some information at least about why you're going but you also have time to kind of pre-plan and reflect on on the call you're going on mm-hmm. for us here in the alarm room you get a tone in your ear and you're presented with that emergency mm-hmm. right now I mean you don't have time to anticipate or process um so the training that we received really helped me kind of get into that but some of the calls uh even even now i mean we're i'm looking at 29 years on and you know almost three decades anything involving children are the worst i i don't like them (laughs) at all because you know most most of the time they're preventable and so you know like we were talking the other day um your emotions come into play but that was challenging for me in the beginning because I think my very first drowning call, uh, I had to get up and leave. You know, I had to get out and walk around the building and just take some time. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, the amount of training we're given does not prepare you for something like that. Yeah. You know, we would listen to um, tapes of drowning calls in training. And then you stop, you know, hit hit pause, and then you talk about it and dissect it. Um, but when you actually have one and you're talking to a mom or a family member that's just pulled their child out of the pool or the tub, you have to perform. I mean, you don't have time to hit the pause button. So for me, that, that took a a hot minute to take a breath and say, okay, this is what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, so those are challenging, uh, you know, and, and moving on with, with the lead position, you're taking on greater responsibility. Now you're responsible for listening to every channel and helping, you know, helping everybody in the room get get the job done and get it done right. Um, but I think, yeah, it was an eye opener. It, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. And I think for uh, new folks that come into this career now, if they if they think this is a nine to five, they're wrong. Mm. it's it's much more than that as you're aware um yeah it's it's difficult yeah i think there's something about you know when i think about it from an operations perspective right we go on the emergency we have hands on and we can physically do something about uh, the incident as it's taking place and then we jump back on the truck and while we may end up responding to another call pretty quickly we still have that time on the truck to decompress a little bit, even if it's just a couple of minutes, you can take a breath, you can reorient yourself. Um, you can talk to your crew and right. be like, whew, that was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 
I personally have had witness to some of our folks who take an incredibly intense call, hang up, you know, disconnect from that caller when fire shows up on scene and immediately turn around and take another 911 call. It's, right? it's, you have no time to process yeah, that, that yeah. lack of that lack of decompression that there's no slack in the system. Um, at least in our room at the moment, you know, that's something that we're working on, but that, that, that inability to just sit back for a second and take a breath and reorient is pretty mm-hmm. challenging. Um, so how do you, how do you manage that? I mean, obviously getting up and leaving the room for five minutes is, is awesome when it's available. When it's available. Yeah. So how do you deal with that on a day to day though? Really? Well, like you, like you mentioned, um, in operations, you can, you can go unavailable for a short period. You can talk about it. You can make sure that, you know, everybody's okay and, and kind of hash it out that way. Uh, but for us, we don't really get that opportunity. Um, we're busy, uh, you know, dispatching for 28 jurisdictions and, and dispatch pumping out 500,000 calls a year. 30 jurisdictions. 30. Let's yeah. see. It grew overnight. So <laughs> I, when I came on, we had five. So, I mean, just the growth has been amazing. How has that, so that's an interesting dichotomy right there. You, when you came on, what year did you come on? 94. Okay. So in 94, we had, we were just, we were dispatching for, for five jurisdictions and now we're up to 30 jurisdictions. How does that, how, what are some of the things that you've seen occur in that time period, the change as it affects dispatcher deployment? Well, definitely call volume first and foremost. I mean, just, just. Overnight, your your calls are doubling and tripling, and it never seems to let up. It just keeps growing. Um, we have when I was in training, we had to learn all the uh, hundred blocks for the streets, and I nailed it. But now you're 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 putting now thirty jurisdictions. <laughs> There's no way, you know. Yeah. So what I've seen grow uh, substantially is technology and our resources. We used to have cards that we would flip to give self-help instructions. Now we have EMD that's built into CAD. Uh, we used to have, I mean, I was a master at those yellow map books. That's how we would find things. I mean, if, if you needed a latitude and longitude, that's what we used to get it. Um, the technology, the mapping systems we have now is just incredible. So that that's aided us in, in what we do. But um, I like to go back just one yeah. question. Yes, is kind of how do you deal with the stress? Oh yeah, we jumped right out of that. Right, we did kind of go over C. We, we blocked that one out as <laughs> as we do. Um, as a supervisor now, and as you know, I've, the years have gone by. I think I've reflected on the impact that it does to the room. It does to the dispatchers sitting on the bridge, and and I could plug in and listen to calls very high intense emotional calls and and knowing what the dispatcher is going through you have to be on point to do that we don't have time to disconnect and leave most of the time because of our staffing and we usually don't get follow up on the outcome of the calls that's hard and and I for me personally I think that's that's worse than the call itself because I can give self help all day over time, you kind of build a callus for the emotions on it. You know, you, you expect it now. And now you're seasoned. Now you know what you're going to get. And so you know how to cope with it. But not knowing the outcome of the of a really bad call, mm. that's like torture almost. That's mental torture because you, you do take that home. Um, for me, 
having, you know, back in the early days when I had three young boys at home, if I took a bad drowning, I mean, I, I would drive home and thinking nothing about that call and my sons and then go home, wake them up just to see their little faces, Yeah, you know, and then that was hard. It was, it was hard not to know. And I would call, you know, the chiefs or, or the, the company that responded and try to get some follow up. But, you know, in a day's time, how many of those can you actually do? You know, then, yeah. then you kind of feel bad because you don't really want to call and have them rehash it. They're the ones that were hands on. That's traumatic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's tough. And, and we have some stellar people up there. And she's, she's probably going to kill me, but I'm going to mention her name anyways. But Tara Gus, s- such an incredible person. I mean, just professional. She could take back-to-back drownings and, I mean, bad ones or trauma involving kids or just bad calls in general. And you'll go down. I mean, for me, just hearing her, it's, it, it unnerves me. And yeah. I'll go down and say, Tara, take a break. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, well, can I take a break? Because yeah, I'm stressed <laughs> out just hearing you. Yeah. Um, but it's just something that we have to develop over time, how to cope with it. Um, what what are some of the like outside tools you use? Because it's one thing to just be stalwart and be able to mm-hmm. handle it and like nope, I got this and soldier on. But that wears on that that piles up on you like a it does. You know, a lacquer gets you it know, does. puts and on I, top of you. I like time. to relate it to like a, a pitcher of water. You know, we're all running on half full all the time. Yeah. Um, and eventually that water just keeps going up and up and up until it overflows. Yeah. Well, those are your emotions and your coping skills. At some point. It's going to break. It's going to spill over. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you're going to find yourself in a bad way rather quickly. Um, The way we deal with it, we have a lot of resources available to us. We have EAP, the Employee Assistance Program. We have a peer support team that uh, if you take a bad call, they'll they'll come in and try to offer support. They have um, resources that they can send you to. Um, We have the department chaplain, Father Carl, was was the man, you know, rest his soul, God bless him. And uh who's our new guy I forgot. <laughs> you can edit that out. Nick. Nick Patrici. Yeah, Nick Patrici. All right. Sorry, Nick. Um <laughs> <laughs> He's brand new. We're getting used He's to it. He's brand new. But you know what? We know we can call him. So yeah. it's resources like that. It's people like you that we could talk to. Um, you make things very easy to be able to discuss. Oh, that's nice of you to say that. It is. I appreciate that. It's heartfelt. Um, but in my position, what I've learned, like, and I always tell my employees that, you know, I have three sons they all have three unique, different personalities. You know, my oldest son will make, have me belly laughing, you know, the whole time he's there. My middle son is my, my military, my air force baby. You know, he's very, you know, he always wanted to be in the military since he was four, and it's never changed. Um, but he's pretty stoic. I mean, so why did he go into the Air Force? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. I'm just being. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you smile. He <laughs> wanted to be a Marine, and I talked him out of it. Oh, he could have been a true military brat, but oh, no. true. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's doing awesome. He's a staff sergeant now. He's, nah, that's awesome. Uh, he's in in an intelligence role, so he's. Top secret clearance. And oh, that's badass. He, he won't tell me what he does, but. Because he can't have to kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then my youngest is nothing but sports. I mean, he, he started off. And, and let me tell you something about the city of Phoenix and, and the fire department. 
when my youngest was born, he was born with um, bilateral vocal cord paralysis and dysphagia. We didn't know that till he was about two months old. We figured he had asthma because maybe it ran in the family, or just the way he was breathing. Mm. Um, he got really bad to one point that we rushed him into the emergency room, and the emergency room doctor told us that he only had one lung. And so we freaked out. And they said, you're not leaving. It's during RSV season. They said, you can't leave. And we took him to Arrowhead. And this is where I worked as a pharmacy tech back in the day. Said, you're not, you can't leave here. We're, we're going to call a helicopter and take you over to PCH. Now it's serious, right? You know, now it doesn't matter. Now I'm on the other side of the, the parent panic side. Yeah. Um, so we're freaking out. And then they came back and said, well, there's no beds available, so we're going to send you home and we'll call you. I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> go from helicopter to yeah, the children's so hospital one to lung. go home? Like, wait, come you on. You can't drive. We're going to fly you. But go ahead and go home. We'll call uh, you. Classic. Um, at any rate, so this is a long story, so I'll just cut it. But we, we, I took him to Phoenix Children's. I called my pediatrician. He was an Air Force major. Don't don't hate on him. No. But he came marching in at 2 o'clock in the morning at Arrowhead and was screaming at the doctors, calling him idiots. And my son has two lungs. They were just full of pneumonia. Mm. You know, because of the dysphagia that we didn't know about, every time he swallowed, he'd aspirate. Oh, my goodness. And, and it was critical. But yeah. I ended up throwing him on my car, and I drove way over the speed limit to and met my doctor at Phoenix Children's. And from there, he was on a, a ventilator for about 28 days. Man, that and must have been scary. It was very scary. I mean, he now he's six one almost, and can, he's an all-star in hockey. But um, back to my point is when I thought everything, the world was coming to an end, you know, in that emergency room, not knowing what tomorrow was going to be like, fire department personnel just kept coming in. And then we had Dave Fisher. Um, had Father Carl. I mean, at one point, uh, Nick, my son, coded at Phoenix Children's. Mm. And I was home. I had spent two days with him at the hospital, and I got super sick. I mean, just vomiting everywhere. So I was home. My uh, ex-wife was there with him. My twin brother was there, and they called and said he coded. Now I'm freaking out. Yeah. So before yeah, that's got to be the worst thing for a parent to hear. It was it was horrible. I mm. mean, the fact that I'm even talking about it and not breaking down, it's it's amazing because normally I do. But um, you know, but everything worked out well. But so Father Carl's going to the PCH, and then Father Choa came to my house, and now I'm thinking, no one told me he's coming. <laughs> Yeah, and he showed up with engine 156, and they're That's like, "That's not a good sign." No, and they're like, I'm freaking out now and vomiting at the same time. Took six bags of fluids. Oh crap! And still was taking taking more. And uh, Captain on 156 said, "Get in the truck. We're going to take you to Phoenix Children's." And I'm like, I can hardly walk to the truck, but the fire department just surrounded me. Anything I needed, time off. Um, I had people bringing food that I didn't even know who they were, bringing stuff to the house. I had firefighters doing my yard work. I didn't even ask. Um, it was amazing. So I never take that for granted. You know, everybody, it doesn't matter what occupation you're in, you always can, it's easy to find reasons why you don't like it. It's harder to stop and take a look at what's good about it and, and not take the good for granted. This is the best place I've ever worked at now. Um, it truly is a family. They do come together. They, they do support one another. 
you know, we do have, we go through hard times. You know, you being a deputy chief now, you, I'm sure you've, you've been exposed to it, but I have employees coming to me that not only have issues at work, but they're having issues at home. You know, I've had people come to me during uh, 2008, they're having their homes foreclosed on. What am I going to do about it? But, uh, you know, they're coming to me for emotional, moral support, I, I imagine. And I just try to find as many resources as, as I could for them. But I, I find in this role, you got to be a little bit psychologist, you know, a little bit leader, a lot of bit leader. But you really have to know the pulse of the room. So back to when we're dealing with the stress and with my example on the, my son's personalities, I'm dealing with 20 different personalities in that room at any given moment. And I have to know when somebody's having a bad day. I have to know when they're happy, when they're sad. You know, are they are performing at, on the, at their peak ability that day? Yeah. You pick, you, you, it becomes natural because you just, you work with them. You know, you're in that bubble and, and you know them. You know, and you just treat them like humans. I mean, everybody has something going on all the time, and it's not always good stuff. Yeah, you know, we'll it's, it's not always work related, right? right? And it's I've heard people say, uh, you know, leave your leave that drama at the door when you come to work. Easier said than done. Right? It's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. It's not real. We're human beings, and human beings are messy and difficult, and we have problems. And to just say uh, to d- dismiss it, hey, just leave it at the door. And, and think that over a 24-hour period or over a, a, a 10-hour, 12-hour workday, it's not going to affect you? Come on. No. It's not, that's not reasonable. They're not robots. They're, they're right. people. And, right. and they have emotions and they have lives. And, yeah. you know, we can't just expect them to take all the bad all day. I mean, people aren't calling us because they're having a great day. They're calling us because it's the worst day of their life at that right. moment. Um, so we're, we're absorbing that stress. And then if you have stress going on in your personal life, yeah, you have nothing but stress going on. So yeah. if you don't have somebody that has a, a visual eye looking out for you, you're, you're going to get be in a bad way quick, you know, and that's part of my job is to help prevent that. Yeah. Well, you brought up something really important, which is you said earlier that, you know, knowing your people, knowing how they're different and being mindful of that. Because I think when, when someone walks into work, and as a supervisor or even as a coworker, knowing what their normal levels are, what's a normal disposition for that person can really clue you into when someone's having a, uh, when they're set up for a bad day, right? Right. When things are right. going bad. And that way when, you know, normally they can absorb the impact of a Pete's drowning or whatever type of call that, you know, high stress incident. Um, but maybe today they're not equipped to handle that and you need to be aware of that. They're not, and I'll give an example, and, and my brother's going to kill me for this one, but I'm going to say it anyways. But so <laughs> As brothers do. As brothers do, yeah. So, so my brother Joe, he, uh, as, we, as we talked about earlier, he was a dispatcher here for many years, and even when he was full-time in Buckeye, he stayed here part-time for a period. He, hands down, the best dispatcher I've encountered in my tenure here. I mean, just... He, that's he, high praise because some of the, some of the folks here are pretty awesome. It's high praise, and, and if if Joey, if you're listening, you know I don't praise you, so take take this, <laughs> this is the take one this opportunity. one shot. Yeah. This is it. But he could be on his cell phone, he could be on the desk phone, and he could be on a nine one one and still not miss any radio traffic. And he was a lead dispatcher. Um, there was one day that I knew he was working here, and he had been in Buckeye for many years, so he's working part time. And I 
think I was on my way into work, but he called me, he called my cell phone, and I answered it, and there was, it was just dead air, and I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe he just, you know, butt-dialed me or something. But as a twin, I, I, we know, you know, I, I could tell something, I could sense something was wrong, because I could hear movement, and I'm like, what's wrong? I mean, immediately, just said, what's wrong? And his voice was cracking, and he, uh, he said, today's the day that I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, you're in the alarm room. You're not even on the truck, <laughs> you know, not to diminish the alarm room. But he said he had just taken back-to-back pee drownings. Mm. And he had been on drownings in the field. He had been on pediatric trauma codes in the field. He's seen much worse. But that day, and neither one of them had good outcomes, Yeah. Um, he, you know, he started envisioning his daughter, and which we all relate to our children and when we have calls involving kids, you know, and just, they're just preventable. But he had reached, his pitcher of water was overflowing at that moment. Yeah. And he just needed, he needed to hear a voice that, that could bring him down from that. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, it made me stop and think because here's the dispatch paramedic God you know, that, that I idle for what he does, having this breakdown moment over something he's been doing for decades. And it made me realize if it can happen to him, it can happen yeah. to me. It can happen to any of us. Yeah. You know, Jim, I, I think that sometimes it takes decades, right? You're able to, your cup is so big, it fills up and you're siphoning it off or whatever, for what, however you're doing that, whether you're, it's with exercise, it's with therapy, it's, you're doing other things to decompress. And then you get to a period of life where you can't, and it just fills up and your cup runs over and you're like, yeah. Oh, uh, I did not expect that. And I think that's a, uh, it's a real expectation. And I have, you know, so many folks in this industry in public safety, in the broad net of public safety, we all deal with other people's life trauma. And to think that it will not ever affect us is is ridiculous. Right? What's why the divorce rate is so stinking high? Because Alcoholism, yeah, substance abuse. All yeah. those coping mechanisms, that the unhealthy ones, <laughs> are right. are you know uh, problematic for us. And that's in, in all these different industries. And whether you, and I think interestingly, when I think about the trauma that I experience, you know, have experienced, it's very visceral. I have smells, visual things, et cetera. And then I think about for a dispatcher, it's so different. You don't have any of that. No, it's all auditory. It's all auditory. How does that, how do you, do you have thoughts where like it, you hear the audio back in your head? How does that affect you? I do. I do reflect calls. Um, and there's, there's one that stands out that just, ugh, I, I hate, it just, some calls will trigger it. Um, listening to dispatchers in the room take similar calls will trigger the memory. But uh, back when I was on the floor, it was several years ago, I took a call from uh, a young lady. I think she was about 13 years old. And she found her mom unconscious on the floor. And so we started doing self-help. It was only the two of them home. And very quickly I realized mom wasn't breathing and this was a code. So get the call started, make sure they're, they're rolling. And I start trying to give this, this young lady self-help. She just started breaking down on the phone and telling me and pleading with me, begging me to save her mom, that it was, 
just the two of them. They didn't have any other family. It was just the two of them. And, you know, what was she going to do without her mom? And just based on her description, I had the sense that mom had been down for a while. Uh, mom didn't survive. Um, and I kept talking to her. I said, stay on the phone when the, when the paramedics get in there. Let them do their work. But I want you to, you know, walk somewhere where, where you can hear me and just talk to me. Don't watch what they're doing. And, oh, I'll, I'll tell you, Chief, that um, that one sticks. But, you know, but it's, again, it's calls like that. It's It's real life. Right. You yeah. know, either who's going to do it if we don't do it. Yeah. I, that is the, that has been the saving grace for me is acknowledging that these bad things are happening every day all around the world. Right. And the least thing, at least we have some training, mm-hmm. we have an opportunity to have an impact on this event. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's an awesome responsibility. I mean, you feel and- helpless, but you need to get out of that and you need to almost pull yourself yeah. out of those helpless, dire, you know, feeling and realize, re- and just remind yourself, I'm here to do something. Yeah. I'm here for a job uh, and, and it's a very specialized job that not many people can do. Yeah. And I'm going to have another one that's going to be bad or worse, worse than the, than that last one. And I think if you mentally prepare and you have coping mechanisms at home or even instilled, you know, at work here to deal with the stress. But first you have to acknowledge and recognize that and admit to yourself that what we do is not easy and it's stressful and people die. And we get calloused and, you know, sometimes in the room amongst our peers, we joke about calls sometimes and you know, I, I, I figured this out when I started taking these jokes home that family members that weren't exposed to it kind of looked at you like, you know, you're a monster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, oh my goodness. You know, you're how, wow. I don't, you know, don't answer when I call. And, right. and what they didn't realize is that we have to develop a way to de-stress through these because if we let, Every one of them just take a chunk of us. We're not going to, there's not going to be a lot left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's important to rationalize to a certain degree um, that these things are happening regardless of whether you're here or not. And you can choose to be a tool for good, right? And to to help people and, and be successful. I think about it's so important to have excellent knowledge, skills, and abilities so that you can be um, a capable provider. You know, I, I, I never wanted to be the kind of paramedic who showed up on scene and didn't know what he was doing. Right. Cause right. And then, you, and then you lose somebody and you're like, Oh, well, if I had known what I was, if I knew my drug algorithms better, I might've been able to save this person. If I had a, a clue how to you know, run the monitor and do my job, maybe be more successful. Never want my skill to be, uh, in question when it comes to doing the job. And I think likewise for a dispatcher, you know, being able to, uh, listen acutely and, and then provide the, the right instructions to somebody, you know, CPR instructions, for example, in a code and, and knowing that, Hey, you pulled out all the stops, you gave them everything that you had and that your skills were honed to a, you know, a sharp edge. And so that you were, you were very, uh, uh, you know, you gave them the right information in the, in a timely manner, et cetera so important uh, to our own ability to process. I think if you've done all that and you, you, you can go home and go, yep, I gave it, I gave him the best opportunity possible. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like a, 
uh, interview. You always leave, you sit in your car and you're like, oh, I should have said this or I could <laughs> yeah, have said yeah. that. But if, you, if we're going to second guess everything we do, we're, we're never going to move forward and yeah. improve. You know, like you said earlier, learn, learn from not even mistakes, but just learn. You know, yeah. th- there may be a skill out there that 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 wasn't shown to me, but hey, you know what? This works and, right. and this can make me do my job better right. and make me cope with it better. And I think when we came on, um, and, you know, I'll speak for myself, but, you know, public safety as a whole, it was, you know, we do this job and, you know, thump our chests and this is who we are. And and there wasn't a whole lot of letting your emotions out because of fear of being ridiculed or otherwise. Yeah. Or maybe people looked at it as being shameful. And and what I've seen over time with the culture of the fire department, and, and in a good way, is that we've broken down some of those barriers where it's acceptable, you know, for a man to tear up because of a bad call or, you know, or you know, our brothers and sisters out in the field. I mean, what they see every day pales in comparison to what we go through in a different form, right? So it's okay to feel. And I think back in the day, I think just the culture itself dictated that it wasn't okay to feel. Yeah. You know, but now I've seen us progress to where we do have resources that we can deal with things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think our understanding of, of, mental health has evolved tremendously, right? When somebody has depression, anxiety, or whatever related to the volume, the calls that they've seen and things like that, that is an injury. You know, you sprain your ankle or you sprain your brain. Like mm-hmm. it is an injury and you've got to treat it. And so to sit and, and say, nah, nah, I got this. I can handle this. Okay. You can for a while, but it's also okay to go do some um, preventative maintenance, you know, like we go to PT and we go to therapy when our shoulder gets sore, right? Whatever. Same thing when you're dealing with some heavy uh, trauma, emotional trauma from these calls. Yeah, go decompress. Go talk to a therapist. It's totally cool and and helpful and will make you, uh, you know, a better spouse, uh, you know, better communicator and all those things. So right, important. Right. You know, well, I lucked out. So I, my husband was in public safety. He was on the police side. So I try not to hold that against him too much, but at least when I went home and I had bad calls or just a stressful day, I could talk the language and he would understand it, Yeah, yeah. you know, and where some relationships, it's hard. I mean, I've seen husband and wife teams that you couldn't go home and discuss it because the other spouse just, you know, and how could they get it? They, they didn't understand, yeah. you know, why you're coming home and you look mentally and physically exhausted and, yeah you know, the things that we deal with, but yeah, at home uh, to your point, yeah, it, you have to, you have to open up. You have to let your feelings out or it's going to manifest in something totally negative that it's not good for anybody. Right. You know? Yeah, indeed. So we've kind of, we went, we hit the, the heavy stuff pretty hard. So let's, what are, let me switch gears on you here a little bit and light the mood to smidgen. Yeah, please. What are, you know, what are some of the highlights of the light moments that you've experienced in your time as a dispatcher? Oh, the light moments. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, the people I work with, I mean, they can be pretty, pretty funny and entertaining. It's, it's good to come here and see some of the personalities that just lighten, lighten the mood of the room. Um, just with their nature, their character, you know, they're, 
it's not always doom and gloom. They, they're bringing food in. I mean, we, we, we eat a lot. That's a here. fan favorite. We eat a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too much. But, um, you know, some of the calls, they're not always bad. I mean, when I was brand new, I, I think I was on for two months. And being a twin, it's pretty cool. But I took a call with a, a pregnant female. She was home alone, pregnant with twins. And they were coming. They weren't waiting. Uh, she was in mid-contraction when I answered the phone and it kept going. And I'm like, okay, you know, this. I'm on the phone. You know, how, how do you deliver babies, twins, over the phone? I think she was talking me down and calming me <laughs> down. <laughs> I was calming her down. But they both came out, I mean, before the, the medics got on scene. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you that I was walking around in cloud nine. I just had smiles. And I just tell her twins and I'm a twin. And. That's you know, a cool I, connection. I wanted to call her back and have her name name the kids after my <laughs> Jim and brother. Joe. Jim and Joe. They're probably <laughs> girls. I didn't even ask. Doesn't but, matter. Jim and Nina <laughs> and Josephina. Josephina. <laughs> <laughs> but things like that. You know, when I talk to um, some of our customers, they're not always having the worst day. I mean, I've, I'll take calls where, where they take the time to call to thank us. I mean, they love them some field personnel. I get it. Who doesn't? But they, the ones that take the time to call and thank a dispatcher, that's awesome. That is cool. You know, and we have uh, uh, more more times than I could count where, especially with childbirths or even pediatric codes that were saved, the parents bring the child to work mm. to to meet us. That's awesome. I mean that that. That goes back That's to cool. that closure you were talking about, right? right? Kind of getting yep. the outcome of the the incident. Right. I mean, now you're you're seeing it, you know, in real life, and you're seeing that kid, or or you're safe. And yeah, um, my twin mom never brought the twins down. So if you're listening, bring them, they're probably <laughs> in their twenties by now. But bring that them would by. be bring cool. How cool would that? Yeah, be? right. Oh, <laughs> so let me ask you this: What is when you think about like the the connection between operations in the field? Sometimes there can be miscommunication. So, what is you know they, because they are seeing you guys are just getting information over the phone, um, and sometimes the quality of the uh, caller, the reporter, the integrity not the, of the caller, yeah, not the best quality of report, um, and what we see out the windshield can be very different uh, from what we get in our PTI and in our information mm-hmm. that you send us. But what's something that you would like that you would say, hey, this is what I want you guys to know in the field about op- about the way things work in the alarm room. So it's pretty much exactly how you see, <laughs> see it and how the chief just described it. Some of our callers are, are more descriptive than others. Um, some of them will give us the exact information we need. And majority of the time, your PTIs probably don't match what you're actually finding. But that's not on the part of your dispatcher. So we follow EMD, Emergency Medical Dispatching Protocols. Um, So we ask the same questions based on the nature code. Um, So we're asking the right questions, right? But there's certain callers that know buzzwords, and they know the calls that we will send on versus the ones where we can find alternative resources for them. Hmm. Um, So they'll give erroneous information, if you will, to ensure that they're getting a response. I would encourage the field. I know we've had sit-along programs for field personnel. Bring it back. Bring it back. You bring it back because from what, from what I've uh, witnessed and, and experienced is that they actually love it. Um, you know, it's, it's not a them against us. At least it shouldn't be a them against us mentality. We're all, I mean, the call starts here. Tell us how we can improve. Tell us, 
you know, share your thoughts, share your experiences with us. Let us share you our world um, and let you sit down, put a headset on and listen to some of these calls. Uh, I, we used to bring crews in all the time and not just recruits, but I mean, even some of the, the old salty dogs would come up that never got to experience it. And they're floored and they it opens their eyes that, oh, this is why you're sending this type, you know, and and we don't judge the integrity of the caller. We shouldn't. Um, and it's not our job not to send, you know, taxpayers and whatnot. But we do field, I think, the calls very fairly thoroughly. Um, what I would say to anybody out there listening is the number of calls that don't generate a operations response. There's a lot of them. There's probably a couple hundred a day that we don't send a truck on that we end up directing that customer to alternative resources um, that the field would never even know about it. So, I mean, if, if we sent on all those calls, I can imagine they, they wouldn't like us too much, but if, if they can come up and see our world and then maybe invite us to go see their world and get that cooperation, I think that would actually uh, be a huge improvement. I know we've done it uh, in the past. I know COVID kind of hit the brakes on everything we've yeah. done, but we're getting back. Yeah, yeah. Back, now that COVID not, is not, the not new as normal, much of a big normal. concern, um, we need to, to reignite that program yeah. and get folks up here to visit. Yeah, I think it would be, it, it's just part of the job, yeah. you know? And so if you're going to do the job, know all of it. It's yeah. just going to make you a better responder, right? So, you know, right from start to finish, I think uh, I would invite anybody to come down. Bring right food. We like donuts. <laughs> it's not just the cops. We like donuts. You're right. Okay, I'm going to ask you some, uh, some rapid-fire questions. Oh, geez, here we'll we go. Bring this to a close. Here we go. Okay. What's something that you believe that other people think is crazy? That That's not a rapid fire. That requires thought. That I believe <laughs> that other people think is crazy. Wow, Rain. Um, does it have to be job-related? No, not at all. <laughs> Let me tell you who Jim is. This is what my husband always gets on me. Jim is very OCD, <laughs> and I'm very analytical. I overanalyze. Over, I mean, I overanalyze. Am I, am I analyzing my my analyzing right now? But um, I think not always to a fault. But you remember that TV show? How's it? How's it made? Mm -hmm. Did you watch it? A little bit. I've watched every episode multiple times. <laughs> Give me something. I'm going to take it apart. I want to know how it works. I might be able to put it back together. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. What's one bad recommendation you've heard people give? Work-related, I would say just treat it like a job. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. Um, I've, I've heard people come in, recruit or new uh, candidates that came in here, and they said, oh, we heard it's a it's a really easy, cool job. So that's not really a recommendation to me, but it's not an easy job. It is cool, but it's not easy. It's, I've seen some really good candidates come in here um, that have washed out because they weren't mentally prepared for what they were going to get. Um, next one that you're, these aren't easy ones. I didn't say they're easy. <laughs> I said they're rapid fire. Okay. I'm going to flip that one. So what's one great piece of advice that you've been given? Be yourself. Be yourself. See? Rapid fire. Yeah, that like was that. a rapid fire. Quit. I like that. Don't, you can't fool these people around here. You have to be yourself. Let your personality come out and whether they like it or not. Be professional, but, um, just be yourself here. 
I think that's great advice everywhere. Um, okay, you have 18-year-old Jim standing in front of you. What do you tell him? Oh, Lord. So many topics went through my head. Uh, lie to the Navy so you can go in and get your college <laughs> paid for. Um, yeah, that wouldn't work. There are so many things I would tell myself. If 18-year-old, I mean, we I'd have to sit down different categories. Um, I would probably take, I don't want to say take life a little more seriously because that makes me sound like a stick in the mud, but, I, you know, we all say I wish I knew than what I know now, but to put that into perspective is difficult. Um, I would, again, I would probably be myself. I would probably tell my 18-year-old, don't be afraid of social norms. Don't be afraid of what people think about you so much. If, If I were just, you know, like with my sexuality, if I were just myself back then, I would have a lot more fun, you know, in all aspects of life. However, I would not change a thing because I have, you know, my ex-wife and I are great friends and I have a wonderful husband and I have three wonderful sons. So, you know, it's hard to, would I change anything? Not necessarily, but I would have, I would do things better, smarter, um, put a little more thought into it and not be so rambunctious and, you know, trying to make people laugh all the time. But, uh, yeah, stuff like that. All right. So what does it mean to you to be fire ground fit? Are we talking physically, mentally, all the above? Fire ground fit. Um, Do your homework. Know what you're getting yourself into. Um, Be, you know, have aspects in your life, your physical nature. I mean, even for dispatchers, I mean, just physical mobility will relieve a lot of stress. So fire ground fit would be uh, being open, being a active listener. We don't get enough of active listening around here. Um, have a little more trust in humanity, a little more faith. <clears throat> My grandmother growing up, I mean, every time I saw her, every time I was on the phone or visit her, she would always say, little English woman, uh, keep the faith. And Back then, I didn't know what that meant. You know, what's keeping the faith mean? Well, now it's tattooed on my back because now I know and I tell everybody, keep the faith. And, you know, I know I'm kind of getting away from your question, but to relate it to your question, just keep the faith in people. Keep the faith in your abilities. Keep the faith in how much you can take on. And don't be afraid to tell others that you've taken on too much. Um it's going to be a very short career if you don't do that. And if you're not mentally, physically prepared for this. And that goes for dispatching as well. Right on. You know, little speed humps in life. You just go over it and keep, you can't change the past, right? Just move forward. And like I said, as I, as I get older and wiser um, and less analytical, you can analyze anything to death doesn't mean it's going to end up being the way that you think it's going to be. And there's so many turns in life that even, I mean, I'm still making turns. Sometimes I'm I'm stuck in that roundabout, you know. I'm like, which one should I go? Well, let's go around it one more time, one more time. And clarity will, will show itself. You'll know which turn to take. And 
you know, it may be a good experience. It may be a bad one, but there'll be another roundabout down the road, more choices. And just life experiences will help you make the better choices. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking some time and, and sharing your thoughts and experience with us. Absolutely. Really I've waited it. so long for this moment. It was finally arrived. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> it wasn't I'm everything you thought on. it would be. <laughs> this is uh, actually pretty cool. I like the setup. I uh, like the format, and we should do more of these. Right on. Well, I think we will. Let's have our own radio show. There you go. <laughs> See how I've already introduced myself to your show and like um That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate it. You bet. Hey folks, that's all we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform you enjoy listening to the most. Subscribe and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Also, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. That way those who are looking for interesting content will find this podcast. Your rating helps drive that traffic. Uh, now, take the lessons you've learned here today. Figure out how that you can imbue them into your lives. Go on out there and get some. <laughs>